Ladies and gentlemen, people of UCLA Radio, welcome back to UCLA Radio's Red Carpets WrestleMania. Today on the show, we have a legend with us, not just a legend, a WWE Hall of Famer, a champion all over the world, and a member of the untold legendary Anuai'i family in the world of professional wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, we got with us Rikishi Fatsu. How are you doing today, sir? I'm good, son. Thank you for having me on the show. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us today. And of course, for those people who don't know, just tell us, you know, when did you start wrestling? When did you get into this industry? I mean, obviously, I know the answer to that. It's in your blood. But when did you decide you wanted to be a professional wrestler? Let's get into that right off the bat. Oh, geez, man. I mean, we're talking way back uh, uh, 19, uh, I want to say 1986. I actually started, I wasn't a fan of professional wrestling before, you know, I was a young kid. Uh, born and raised in San Francisco, California, in the Bay Area. And, uh, you know, during the times uh, as a young kid, you know, I always used to watch my uncles Alpha and Sika on uh, professional wrestling. And so, but my 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 mind during that time in school was, you know, I used to love playing basketball and I, I loved playing football. So I didn't even have uh, professional wrestling in, in, in my sight. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, during the times in the Bay Area, if you come from the streets of San Francisco, it gets kind of rough out there. And, uh, you know, I, I knew then that, you know, it was time for me to, you know, kind of make a choice. And it was actually my parents, really, that that kind of threw me into it there because I was one of those kids that was going down the bad road, the streets of San Francisco. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Polynesian parents, they don't mess around. You know, it's, it's just two things going to happen to you. They're gonna, you're gonna get buried in the in the streets of San Francisco, wherever you're at, or we're gonna to try to save your life and send you someplace to where you can get some tip, some discipline. You know, and mm-hmm. that's how it kind of started for me. It was in uh, I want to say 1985, 86. And so obviously you're from the Bay Area and San Francisco, as you said. Did you start training in California? Oh no, man! I didn't. I didn't even start. Like like I said, you know. Um, I got I got sent over to my uncle's uh, 1985 86, and it is there to where I started training. I mean, we didn't, you know, our training with my uncle's there. We we didn't have an academy, you know, like nowadays. There's a lot of academies around the world and mm-hmm. countries and so forth. We were trained on hand, in the backyard, you know, putting up the ring, tearing down the ring. We built the rings, so that's what our training was, on hand training with my uncle's. Okay. And of course, eventually you made your way to the WWE. But before we get to that, I just want to ask you, uh, for those who don't know, what is it like trying to come up in the business in the independent circuit or back in those times, the territories? It's very hard. You know, uh, back in those days, you know, there was a lot of lot of traveling. You know, they only had a certain group of guys in different territories that were their uh, main main roster. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for a lot of the guys that are not a part of that roster, if you were around with somebody that was on that roster, well, you just might get lucky because somebody on that roster either might can't, you know, couldn't make the show or somebody got hurt and then is there to where you kind of, you know, get your, you know, get your first opportunity. And, you know, you're kind of like you're filling in for somebody that was supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. But then, then the rest is up to you. You know, either the promoters they they like you, and you know they, you know they like how you work, and then the the relationship starts from there. 
Mm-hmm. And when you made it to the WWE eventually, you didn't start off as the Rikishi character that we all know today. What was it like coming up with who you were? You're finding your identity in WWE, and, and how did you end up with that character? Well, we we didn't have we didn't have an identity when I mean I'm talking. It took me probably six seven years before I made it to WWE. Um, you know, let me back up how I got there. Uh, you know, my uncles uh, Alfon Sika. They had us travel all around the world, you know, uh, you know, what we call pay your dues in this industry, you know, and it wasn't even about, I mean, I was probably making $30 a booking mm-hmm. a show. And, you know, at, at that time, you know, you kind of get frustrated, you know, uh, uh, I had a, you know, I had a family, you know, I had my kids, the twins and so forth. And yet, you know, I'm going all around the world and, you know, uh, wrestling in different companies where my uncles book us and you know it wasn't really making no money and you know I used to always ask myself why you know why am I doing this if I'm not making no money and, but my uncles you know we took so long uh to try to get to WWE we were working around the independent circuit to build our name and our brand mm-hmm. everybody knew who Alpha and Seeker was but they didn't know who we were. And the time I started with my uncle, uh, with my cousin Samu, who we became the head shrinkers, the SST then. But, you know, they wanted to teach us the value of professional wrestling, learning uh, to love and to respect it, that it's not easy. There's a lot of sacrifice that comes with this industry. There's a lot of uh, bad that comes with the industry. And they wanted us, to, you know, to kind of smarten us up. Uh, how this industry works uh, and prep us up for the WWE. That way, when by the time you get to WWE, whatever money you made over that $30, you'd appreciate it, you know? And so for us, when we finally made it to WWE, me and my partner, uh, Samu, we came in as the as the, the head trickers. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have any, I mean, I'm sorry, we came in as ourselves, the Samoans. We're with our uncle uh, Alpha, and we had a dark match, and we didn't we didn't have any gimmicks, man. We came in as who we are, as Polynesian men, Samoan men, that you know where we come from. And by the time we get there, we got there, we were already prepped and ready. Like, you know, we were uh, man. I think we were like 20, 25 or twenty four by the time we got there, mm-hmm. and uh, we were a bunch of young young horses but we were working like professionals right i mean we were you know we were already groomed and you know our technique was tight you know our our business mind was already tight like we were we were already ready and uh, we had that one dark match and by the time we got back we were offered to negotiate for a contract and once you're in there, once you're in that system, when was it that eventually you get approached and they want to break you off into a singles character that is Rikishi? Well, it's a combination of that. It's not so much uh, of them, you know, asking you to break off of that. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, in this industry, son, there's a lot more to come with that. And, you know, there's choices that you make, you know. Uh, me and my cousin, we ran so hard before we got there. And, you know, during the times there, you know, uh, uh, you know, my cousin, 
uh, decided to kind of break off for a bit and take some rest, you know. And so as a tag team, it's very hard when your partner, you know, when you split up, it's very hard to rebuild back. So there was a choice. Either I wanted to come back and try the singles thing or mm -hmm. do I just take some time off and, you know, uh, and uh, come back in a later time when we're ready as a tag team. And so in this industry, you, you have, you know, opportunities that have come during your, your way and you, you almost got to make the right choice. So I knew I had, uh, you know, I just, you know, bought a new home and I knew that, you know, if I took some time off as a tag team, you know, I didn't want to kind of fall back down, you know, that ladder and then have to rebuild because we became tag team champions as a head shrinker. So, mm -hmm. You know, in order for me to, you know, to kind of stay in the loop, I kind of just, you know, went ahead and made the choice to be able to, you know, kind of stick it out and see where the singles competition would take me. Gotcha. And obviously the, the Rikishi um, character is somewhat an homage to another one of your family members, Yoko Zuna, taking that uh, sumo sort of uh, style. Was it you that decided you wanted to do that and pay homage to Yoko Zuna or was it, you know, Vince McMahon or someone or someone else in your family coming telling you you should try this? Well, it was a combination of both. Um, again, uh, you know, the WWE came with their idea as far as, you know, when they uh, wanted to do the sumo uh, character. Um, you know, to respect to my cousin, the Mari Yokozuna, you know, I kind of didn't, didn't want to do the sumo deal, mm -hmm. you know, but, you know, when they, they originally wanted to do that, uh, sumo character with Yoko, but fully blown, meaning the real, they wanted the daishiki on there that, you know, where you're actually, you know, showing your, the whole uh, sumo gear. Right. And, um, you know, for me during that time, uh, I went through so many characters from Fatu Make a Difference. Uh, you know, I was just leaving, you know, just coming back from the, from the head shrinker. We did the Fatu Make a Difference. Then we went to the Sultan. And then and finally we got to, you know, to uh, to the Rikishi deal. And I kind of looked at it. Well, this was during a time where, you know, my contract was almost up, meaning I had 90 days before that Sultan character was over with. Uh -huh. And so, you know, for me, you know, there was a few things. Number one, I knew I had to, okay, what do I do after 90 days? You know, I got a family to take care of, and, but also I didn't want to, you know, to kind of do a ripoff of my cousin due to respect to Yoko. And right. I'm, I'm not even in Yoko's level, even if I tried, you know, and, but, and so this is where we kind of went back and forth with WWE. And, um, you know, I kind of, okay, my thing was, I just wanted to, you know, to make sure that my home, you know, uh, when I came home to explain to my family, especially my kids, they were young, you know, you know how kids can be in high school and they can be very, very cruel. But I wanted to show them that this is what I'll be wearing when I come out to my next character. Right. If I decide to do it. And they were all very supportive. You know, they knew that I love professional wrestling. I knew that my skills, of my in-ring skills, were good to a point to where I can make any character come alive. Of course. And so when I decide, when I got the, you know, the support from my family, 
for me, I was going to do everything I can to make this character work. And the first thing I wanted to do was change my appearance. And that's where the, you know, the iconic blonde hair comes through. And then, you know, I wanted to, you know, uh, the, the gimmick that I was wearing, obviously we can see I'm probably the first man to wear a thong on national TV. <laughs> And and the rest was history. I just yeah. wanted to make the character be a fun character, and at the same time, I wanted to have my own identity, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in this family of Samoan dynasty, which is so many of us. Mm -hmm. I mean, you managed to do that. You had so many different facets to this character, both in a serious sense, in a world title sense, in a comedic sense. So I wanted to ask you. Which part of that character's run was your favorite? Was it with Too Cool and, you know, Scotty Tuhati and Grandmaster Sexay? Or did you like in a relish the chance you got to work against The Rock and Stone Cold and those guys? Well, I mean, you know, it, that's a very uh, difficult question for me. You know, I love, I, I love every single, uh, the names that you just mentioned. Uh, but for me, I had a lot of fun with Too Cool. Uh, with Scotty and uh, Brian, you know, Grandmaster. Um, we've, uh, uh, the memories that I have with uh, those two gentlemen is we, we brought something to the stage that has never been seen before. Yeah. And I was very happy to be a part of that. You know, when we all got together, it was magic, you know, to be able to get in the ring, especially when, you know, we're getting ready to bust a move. You know, in a, in a quick, quick time, we became a household name and fan favorites. And, uh, you know, I knew that there was something special between us three. And then, uh, you know, uh, as, uh, as the Tuku Rikishi character uh, continued to shine, it was only fitting for the Rikishi character to move up. Um, so we can do the six man together or tag team. Mm -hmm. or to break off that, you know, one of the two cool members, which would be myself, to be the single com uh, com uh, competition cat. Right. And, you know, I enjoyed working with uh, The Rock, Stone Cold, Undertaker, uh, Kurt Angle, Triple H, you know. Probably one of my memorable matches with those cats would have to be Hell in a Cell. Of course. I mean, on that, let let's talk about Hell in a Cell. So for... It's one of those moments that everybody's seen who's a wrestling fan or even just knows about Hell in a Cell. And it's up there with the likes of Mick Foley and Shane McMahon falling off. So for you, who first told you, hey, Rikishi, we want you to fall backwards off the Hell in a Cell onto a truck? Well, first of, first of all, nobody tells me anything, <laughs> right? So let, let's get that clear. In this industry, I'm trying to put you in my mindset and how, how this works here. In this industry, everybody has a choice. Mm-hmm. And during this time here, number one, I was just very, I was uh, honored and happy to be a part of something uh, to work uh, with amongst these professionals who in my book were the highest of the highest in as far as celebrity status in uh, the world of professional wrestling during the time. And to be able to dance with a bunch of uh, pros like that was something that I'll always remember and I'll always, uh, cherish and mm -hmm. so when the opportunity came for me um you know i kind of you know I've, I've been watching this thing here with mick foley and i've noticed that you know mick foley has done a lot for our industry and he has put his body through so so much 
And during this time here, when this uh, Hell in the Cell came through, that's where I kind of thought about, how can I do something that will, in the highlights years to come, that they will show Mick Foley and show something that Rikishi has done. Uh-huh. And so, you know, when this, uh, we talk about this stunt, you know, that came up to where I took a bump, you know, off, I knew I was going to come off the cage somehow, but, you know, I didn't know that it was going to be something like to where I come off backwards onto the flat bench. Now, keep in mind, you know, we're trained professionals to take these bumps. It's it's same bumps but different looks. Meaning, right? You know, when we take a fall on the mat, it's the same way as if you can take a fall coming fifty feet high up in the cage. Mm-hmm. The only difference is it's just a lot more farther. And for the first time, I probably was scared. I was scared and I was nervous that you know I was going to take this fall here, and not knowing where. I mean, I can't see from behind me where I'm going to land. And when that that uh, flatbed came out and you see, you know, the metal rails around that flatbed, you know, and you're listening to, you know, you're hearing the crowd, that energy is just up there. It's one of those things that you either take the chance or, you know, it's a, or you miss the opportunity. Right. And uh, I remember when uh, Taker went to give me the choke slam, he put his hand on my neck, get ready to push me off. And I told him, tell him my, tell my family I love him. <laughs> and it was that moment that, that probably would have been the last thing I said had I not connect that bump. Mm-hmm. I, I took a fall on that flatbed. So, you know, on on other sides of, you know, when we see those type of, of uh, bumps that professional wrestlers take, you know, you gotta, you gotta understand that a lot of us, you know, we understand when that opportunity comes and that opportunity might only come one time and you gotta be able to make that choice. And then the choice is that, do I take it? Or do I, you know, just uh, not do what I'm supposed to do because I was trained when I get to the, you know, when we get to the shows from my uncles, your job is to go out there and entertain for the people. Right. Pay that hard-earned money to come there. And so I don't recommend anybody taking those falls like that. <laughs> and, you know, you're going to be remembered for things like that. For an, another big move that you did was off the steel cage against Val Venus. And another, out of all those big moves, probably the thing you're going to be most remembered for is a move that, you know, it's not a big bump, but it's your finishing maneuver. It's that, that stink face, the, the move that nobody wanted to take and the one the crowd would always go wild for. So how did you come up with that? And obviously it's part, it's part of that character, but how did that become so popular? And when do you realize that the crowd are loving this? Well, hell, all this time I didn't realize my, my money maker was right behind me, the rub shaker. Uh, you know, that move there, it, it accidentally came. I mean, hell, I knew somewhere down the line I had to figure out something. I mean, you, I'm wearing a thong. <laughs> you pretty much see 
all my business hanging out. And so, you know, I don't, I want to get credit to an old lady out there in Alabama, Mobile, Alabama. I actually wrestled boss man in a house show. Uh-huh. And uh, I've never done this thing face before. You know, I, I knew every time I took off my sumo skirt, you always hear the crowd when they see my, my buttocks. It was like, oh my goodness. Oh God, look at that. I mean, without people saying it to me, I could feel that. <laughs> and so while I was wrestling during the match and somewhere there during the middle of the match, I clotheslined Big Boss Man. And he actually took a bump in the corner of the turnbuckle in which we know today the stink face position. Yeah. And uh, I'll tell you, man, you know, as, as he took that fall, all I heard was like a loud voice and there's like 15,000 people in the arena, but I can hear this one voice was like, Rikishi, turn around and stick your butt in his face. And I'm like, I did that slow look to where you see that look to where I turn around this way, like I'm going to give the stink face. That's where that look, that's where that move was born because I was actually looking around the front row for that voice who said that. And as I turned around and I seen big boss man was in the corner in stink face position. Well, I took one step forward towards him and I can hear the crowd, it's almost like a volcano, you know. I took another step towards him. The closer I got, the louder that that arena, it's almost like a volcano ready to erupt. And so I walked over to him, I was actually walking to him just to see, okay, what am I gonna do next? And as I got there right in front of him, the arena was that, it was that, that noise and that applaud to where the only thing that they're waiting for was for me to turn around and stick my butt in this face. Now, keep in mind, I've never done this before. <laughs> but when I turned around, you can hear boss man, we got him now, baby. We got him now. Go ahead and stick that booty in my face. Stick that booty in my face. And in my mind, I said, well, all right, I'm kind of sweaty, but here it goes. Yeah, I mean, if you ask for it, you got to do it. If the crowd asks for it, you got to do it. Well, I mean, that's, you know, when I hit him with that, and it was the loudest. This was on a Sunday, son. Mm -hmm. And this was the loudest pop I probably heard in my career ever, besides winning the championship belts with uh, my my uh, cousin Samu. But this, mm -hmm. for Rikishi's character, was the loudest pop that I've heard. And that was a Sunday. Come Monday was Monday Night Raw. And the stink face was born then. Who was your favorite person that you loved giving the stink face to? Oh, my goodness. There were so many, man. I guess, you know, from an entertainment standpoint, you know, pretty much everybody, either they like their boss or they don't like or don't, or they don't like their boss. I'd have to say either Vince McMahon, where we, me and The Rock, uh, closed up the Kiss My Ass uh, uh -huh. club. So... I'd have to say Vince McMahon and Stephanie McMahon. That makes sense. Those are two people who sold that really well. <laughs> I don't know. I beg the difference. I think Booker T did. <laughs> oh, yeah. Book Book also took a great stink face. He went out and puked all over Michael Cole. So that's another level. Yeah, I think uh, he, he sold it pretty good. So. But, yeah.
And is there anyone who you never wanted to give the stink face to who, who they said, you know, you want to give it to him and you're like, you know what? I don't want, want to make him suffer. or I don't hey, want man, to give him. I didn't care who it was. <laughs> I knew what I was paid to do. I knew what the fans wanted to me. You guys were more important to me than, than the guys <laughs> working with me because my, my job was to entertain uh, for those that paid a hard-earned ticket to come and watch mm. him do his thing. And it was always too, as, as this character grew, there was really only two things that the fans wanted to see me do. And that was the stink face and to dance. Uh-huh. You know, and you know, I tell a lot of wrestlers like, you guys think that's the easiest thing. That's the most hardest thing. For me, wrestling is easy. But to get out there and you know, to dance and to do the stink face. And I, I don't mind giving the stink face to uh to the wrestlers or the females, the divas that are out there. But the only one problem I have is when I'm going to give somebody the stink face. And you know when they don't shave? Uh-huh. <laughs> because my buttocks is very, very fragile. And so when I sit on somebody, go to give them the stink face, you can almost feel like it's like cutting cutting my, my butt. You know? Right. So I was just to tell them, make sure you shave first. Gotcha. That's the hidden dangers of the stink face. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, not only have you given all that for us and all the memories in the wrestling ring, you've also given us two other amazing things. That's Jimmy and Jay Uso, the tag team legends, two of the greatest in WWE. When they were growing up, did you always know these guys have got it? These guys are going to be wrestlers? Well, yeah, but well, you know, my kids, uh, they were athletes as soon as they came out the womb. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now whether I wanted them to go into the business, absolutely not. <laughs> you know, I wanted them to, you know, to, to come out of college and uh, I wanted them to go into playing football, you know, into the NFL league and so forth. But, you know, as the kids grew up, you know, they were always around the business. I mean, you know, I had a ring in the backyard and they used to train, you know, bounce around, jump around with their uncle, you know, the late Umana, and they had Yoko around there. So mm-hmm. it, was, it was always in their blood all the way to Roman Reigns. You know, they were, those three were called a triple threat. Yeah. They were, they were always at the house in the backyard, swimming, you know, wrestling, you name it. They, they were a bunch of young kids that you would terrorize everything, break furniture in the house, jumping off a of bench, you know, your normal kids. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, this this year has been such a big year for the Anawaii family. We've seen Roman Reigns return and become the Universal Champion. Jay Uso has had killer matches in, inside Hell in a Cell. We saw the return of, of Afa and Sika to give their respect, so-called, to, to Roman Reigns. What has been your take on, you know, all the appearances of your family, and what is it about? that Samoan dynasty that makes you guys so prolific in this business? We're, we're that damn good. We put asses in seats and we put eyes on the monitors. And ever, you know, it's something, you know, coming from our culture and our family, you know, that's just in us. You know, we're just very competitive, mm-hmm. very, very uh, respectful people. We're happy-go-lucky people. You know, the culture and the faith uh, is very, very strong in our family. Um, yeah, and so, you know, I teach Peter Maivia to, to my uncle's offering seeker, to The Rock, to Yokozuna, you know, all the way down to, you know, the youngest in our family there that's in the industry. You know, everybody had their own footsteps that they need to walk in. I mean, it was already paved the way as far as with the dynasty legacy. Now, you know, that was the thing that, that we you know, for myself and uh, a lot of us, 
uh, that those that come before you, you either had to come in and be just as good as them or better. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we leave it alone. And we tell you, right? We'd say, no, this business is not for you. You, you, you know, you don't you just move a different way. You're not. It's not for you. Because we have that gift of being able to tell if you have the gift to be able to do what we do, you know. And so all the way until now, to uh, um, with the members, I think it's man, I lost count. I think it's 18 of us, past, present, and future. Uh-huh. And and you know, all the way to Roman Reigns and the Usos, you know, they're, they're, we're very very proud. You know, our family, those that are not there, were very supportive. Mm-hmm. You know, we we continue to let each other grow. You know, unless you ask me for an opinion or an advice, I'll tell you. And even with my own kids, unless they ask me for opinion or advice, I'll tell them. But I want them, you know, to find it. Right. Find it on their own. They got to stand on their own. And I think they're all, all three of them there that's representing the family is doing a great job. Awesome. Yeah. Now, so two more questions from us. You know, you were telling me earlier you got an academy here, and I wanted to ask you about that. What are you up to now, and how's that going? Uh, well, my life now, you know, um, my mind says I can go, but my body says no. <laughs> you know, after, uh, you know, everything kind of slowed down for me after I got inducted into the Hall of Fame. Right. The Hall of Fame in 2015. And so, you know, I've been a part of, you know, my life now is to be a part of kids that are wanting to learn the industry and to be able to really teach the ins and outs of the industry. So, you know, I opened up uh, an academy here in Los Angeles uh, with my cousin Reno, who's a black pro as well, he's a wrestler as well. And it's called Knox Pro uh, Wrestling Academy. So it's K-N-O-K-X-P-R-O.com. So you can go on there and you, you can find all the informations and so forth. So, you know, I, I, I love the industry so much and I feel like I still have a lot to offer. Right. And what I have to offer is to the youth, to the, youth, uh, the new kids that are coming into the industry uh, to be able to kind of, you know, uh, give my, my input of how this works. Like it's not PlayStation wrestling. Like, you know, a lot of, and I got kids, you know, and I know how, you know, kids think and so forth. Like, you know, it, to be able to survive in this industry, you have to realize the ins and outs, the sacrifice, the time that you put in. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to take the sacrifice and the commitment to be away from your family 200 days out the year? You know, because I don't even know, like I tell my kids all the time, like I don't, I don't know what it is to be a teenage you know, I came straight out of high school, jumped into training. I turned pro at 21, and 31 years later, you know, here I am. Right. So, you know, my thing is to be able to make sure that you kids understand exactly what our business is about. Yes, it's entertainment, but what comes with the entertainment after that, you're going to see the same professional wrestler years down the line, and you will not recognize this guy either. They got a they pulled disc or they're, they're crippled, they're in that wheelchair, or, or it's the sacrifice. And I just thank God that, you know, I'm not in a wheelchair. I thank God that I'm still able to walk on my own two feet. I still got all my senses, my brain is still working right. Mm-hmm. And so it is that, you know, and so training, you know, Open Academy was 
was the best thing for me. Like, you know, it keeps me, it keeps me like, it keeps me alive. You know what I mean? And this isn't a weird way. When you're so used to entertaining, being gone away from home all the time, and then all of a sudden you're just shut. Now you're trying to live the normal life like everybody else. But, you know, so with having an academy go back and forth three times a, a week back then when the pandemic didn't hit, you know? And it's, uh, you know, we keep keep contact with the students through Zoom. You know, we uh, we talk on a weekly basis uh, to be able to help uh, help them deal with what's going on as far as, right. you know, the, the business, the times that we're in right now. So, and I'm, I'm busy with my Rikishi talk show, my Rikishi driver talk show. I do that, you know, every Friday and I'll bring out different celebrities like, you know, different uh, wrestlers, all the way from MMA fighters to actors, you know, you, you name it. Whoever we can talk, because I believe that platforms like this, for me, with my story of, you know, the journey that, you know, what it took for me to get where I am, uh-huh. I, I believe it can help people. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, like, to, to understand that you don't always have a, a silver platter served all the time. You know, you got to get out there and you got to, you know, uh, you got to set goals. You got to have a plan. And even if that plan, you know, that door shuts, that you, you can't give up. You know, there's always a test or something that you got to, you know, overcome and just to not, not quit. Because there's, you know, things that you plan uh, to do and you believe in it and you go to a place and they don't buy it from you then it wasn't for them to have. Right. So you got to keep moving forward. So I'm, I'm happy. Uh, I'm a grandpa right now. You know, so I, my Rikishi's life is uh, to teach and to spend time and catch up with my family. That's awesome to hear that you're doing that after all the years of success you've had in the business. Can't wait to keep keeping up. So tell people where can they find you on Instagram and Twitter? Well, you know, you can go on only the verified page. On Twitter, you'll see at the real Rikishi is verified. Also on my IG, Instagram, that is verified as well, Rikishi, and also on Facebook as well. Uh, you can check it out. Now, all my platforms, if it's not verified, then it ain't the big quiche. Got it. Thank you so much for joining us here today. We really appreciate it. Appreciate it. And thank you for all the years of work in the professional wrestling business. Ladies and gentlemen, Rikishi. Listen, man, I want to send a big shout out to UCLA and also my man right here on Instagram I'm talking to. I want to leave you kids with this. If you got a dream, work at it. Don't quit. And it's always easy to each one teach one. And remember, it's free to be kind to one another.